If you live in the South Metro area and have been looking for top-notch customer service, extensive beer, wine, and spirit selections, and unbeatable prices, look no further than Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. You won't find a more varied inventory anywhere else. Don't just take it from me, guys. This is Michael, and he's been shopping at Davidson's since they opened. The thing I like about Davidson's versus the competitors, it has a larger selection. And if I am going to buy Spirit, then Davidson's is usually my first choice as well because just of the size of the selection. I also like the extensive selection of some hard-to-find items. But that's not all. Every department is staffed with highly trained specialists who can help you find exactly what you're looking for. I've always found the folks that you chat with to be knowledgeable. I've chatted with the spirit staff about different bourbons and different vodkas, and I am always chatting with the wine staff about different things and saying, I like this, what else do you have that's similar? Particularly when I go to non-U.S. Uh, wines, I find them extremely helpful in helping me find something I'm looking for. What are you waiting for? Head to either of their locations in Centennial or Highlands Ranch and follow them on Facebook to stay up to date on their latest specials. And Cole gets another good righty and another right by Cole, a left by Cole this time! Tipped in front by Mika Rentinen! He shoots and scars! Nathan McKinnon! Call J.T. Comfer, 877 goes now. Gabriel Landeskog, collective hugs, 29 and 92. Save me by Grubauer. Move over, Picasso. This piece of art is by McKinnon, my goodness gracious. And welcome into another episode of the BSN Avalanche Podcast. I am the host, back in the hosting chair today, AJ Hayfley. Uh No Rudo today, but I do have a guest with me uh, coming back on the pod, Will Scouching. Good day, AJ. How are you today? Uh, I'm fantastic, man. Uh, everybody knows I'm getting ready to go on vacation. Yes. So I am just trying to get to the finish line with my sanity intact. Yeah, man. So that I can disconnect from the world in a couple of days. Yeah, I know. I know that feel, man. You'll get there. Yeah, I saw you uh, you last month. You were posting pictures from what looked like a very pretty beach somewhere, and I, I was quite jealous. Yeah, I went to Alaska last month, which was quite special. That That's an experience that I would recommend to anyone who would like to go there. It is it is quite – it's quite something out there. Did you do a – do you go on like a, one of those cruises or did yeah, you do any fishing? It was a family thing for me. It was uh, my grandfather's uh, birthday. He turned – he's actually turning 91 tomorrow. So we took him on a big old adventure into the wilderness. So that was that was definitely a lot of fun. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I mean, 91. Yeah. Dude, he's still kicking. still rocking and yeah. rolling. That's he, awesome. He certainly was. And that's where he wanted to go. So we took him there. Well, that's that's a – very heartwarming story it was lovely it was a lovely time well all right uh on that delightful note we will transition into talking about something totally unrelated in the hockey world as well we're gonna we're gonna turn back the clock a little bit and look back at colorado's draft i had you on uh before the before the draft to talk about some of the top guys uh to the certainly two first round picks uh, we were talking a lot about forwards back then, mm-hmm. and then the abs threw me the curveball to make me look really, really good. <laughs> uh, taking Bowen Byron fourth overall, yes. what did you think of that pick? 
Oh, man, I, I thought it was a no-brainer. I mean, I think you couldn't have either seen Kirby Dak go off the board. I don't think you could have gone wrong with either him or, uh, by that I mean Byram or Turcotte. Uh, I mean, I really like Alex Turcotte, but, you know, and I think Bowen Byram, uh, when you look at the 2019 defense crop versus the 2018 defense crop, I think Bowen Byram certainly fell within the same defense crop as the 2018 group, which is so highly regarded. I think he's a great pickup. Uh, you know, you can never have too many really good defensemen. He was setting WHL records. He was, uh, you know, down the stretch. He only got better as the year went on. So I think with Colorado, I, I mean... That pick they got for the in the Matthew Shane trade seems to be working out just fine, and I, I I'd be thrilled if I was Colorado. Byram, what do you see as his realistic chances to stick in Colorado this year? You know, I know I know that Ian Cole is hurt until December. They've mm-hmm. got a lot of bodies there. They brought in Kevin Connaughton. They brought in Callie Rosen from Toronto. Uh, what what do you see as as his chances and and maybe as the upside of Bowen Byram staying in Colorado this year? I think that in Colorado's specific case, I mean, now that you've traded Tyson Berry, what you got in return for that was a really, really good third center in in Nazem Kadri. So you, while you lose a bit of that flexibility on the defensive end, uh, it might imply that maybe Bowen Byron might stick around for a bit. But my hesitation, you know, he it's not that he, it's not like he doesn't have shortcomings to his game that could use some work you know he he didn't uh you know he was very very much an offensive defenseman uh you know his defense was i think his defensive impacts were underrated on paper but i think that there is some work that that needs to be done there uh he certainly plays a very aggressive game and i think that if you bring a really aggressive offensive defenseman right into the nhl at 18 that might be a bit too much too soon if he gets a couple of games to start the year just so Colorado can see what he can do against NHL competition, I wouldn't put that out of the question, especially with someone like Ian Cole out for a bit. Uh, but going back to the WHL, I don't think would really hurt him if he could refine his game a little bit in his own end, uh, maybe get a bit stronger. I just I don't see it happening for more than one season. I think, you know, th- there's not much more room, you know, that he can grow in the WHL. He's a player that I would wish could play in the AHL, but that's not doable. So I wouldn't be heartbroken to see him go. I just don't want him to get thrown in immediately just because of how raw of a talent he is, and then maybe he'll figure it out in the NHL. Plenty of offensive defensemen from junior hockey go into the NHL when they're you know not quite ready to play that offensive role, and they struggle and end up being sort of less than what they could be. So I don't want that to happen with Byram, so I think the WHL might make the most sense. When you talk about a, a young offensive defenseman coming into the NHL maybe a little early, uh, could you look at a guy like Sam Gerrard as a guy that maybe a, another year of juniors might have helped him be a little more prepared to produce offensively in the NHL? Maybe. Which is an area he just hasn't yet. Right. I mean, the thing that, but the thing that Sam Gerrard is really, when I watch him, the really special thing to me with him is is he brings a very modern approach to the defense position. He's he's got unbelievable mobility, uh, not just straight line speed per se, but you know just moving around the ice. He's really really mobile. Um, you know if you look at the metrics people track of of transitioning the puck out of his own zone into the offensive zone, which is 
to me, an extremely important role for a defenseman, you know, to allow your forwards to stretch out a bit. He does that extremely well, extremely high percentiles league-wide, for, and especially for someone his age. I think over time, the production will follow him. You know, he does everything, it seems, really well. Um, I Do I think the same profile could be applied to Bowen Byram immediately? Potentially, and I guess that's what the preseason and the first couple of games of the season is for. Uh, but but I certainly would be more cautious with Sam Gerrard. I mean, it took him a bit of time to really hit those high percentiles of puck movement and mobility. But you know, I, I think he's matured into quite a, a, a quite a solid part of that top four for Colorado. With Byram, with Makar, with Gerrard, how do you see Byram specifically fitting in with those other two guys long term? That's a good question. I think that's a I think that's about as good a problem as you can have. Uh, I think that's a situation where you know he's a very I use the word aggressive with him. He's a great puck carrier. He's willing to you know go below the goal line, really get deep in the offensive zone to to try to create a lot of a lot of offense and that kind of leads me to believe that in a responsible uh you know one three one power play kind of setup that that he might fit in there you know as maybe a, a first you know second second power play unit maybe even a first power play unit type player uh if kale mccarr maybe gets hurt you know he's a good second option you know but i think that the idea of you know byram on the second pair and then kale mccarr up front you know for the next x amount of years you know that doesn't imply that bowen byram maybe isn't as good as kale mccarr but it does to me say you know these are your one-two punch right like you can kind of roll them out almost all night 20 minutes in in the future and just kind of rely on them and and if they're you know and that also is your one-two punch on the back end on the power play which is also you know really special and if it maybe isn't working on the power play because of byram's natural attacking tendency maybe you want some more maybe mobility or stability on the second unit then sam gerard could maybe step in you know i I think byram is a great skater but the skating is a bit of a different profile to me from to my eyes than gerard um so you could kind of play around with it and i think colorado is certainly uh you know they're very heavily entrenched in the analytics situation so they can see what works and what doesn't work and and kind of test things out because i think the forward group you know you don't really have to be very concerned about that group either with byram on that left side kale mccarr on the right side Gerard also as a lefty. Connor Timmons has gotten healthy again, and mm-hmm. there's a little bit of buzz that'll be building. Uh, Timmons will certainly be one of the guys that we watch the closest at yeah. camp this year. Yep. Long term, is is there anybody set up better than what the Avs have built for themselves? Uh, off the top of my head, at least in terms of defensemen, that's a. I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, that. that you know, if you had told me just having the idea of Makar and Byram on their own mm-hmm. is is puts you right up at the top, and then you add, you know, the fact that in the same trade or sorry, not in the same trade was it? I can't even I can't remember. It's been so long, uh, or it feels like it's been so long. But Gerard, yeah, Gerard did come in from trading yeah. Matt Duchesne. So you've added yep. two of those pieces from the same trade, um, you know, and you also have Connor Timmins, who to me was extremely an extremely valuable pick the day he was picked and you know he's you know as long as he can stay healthy and those concussion problems can sort of stay away and he can kind of get back to speed i don't know i mean i think connor timmons has as big a ceiling as as you can imagine for someone like him i mean 
really, really rangy, good skating defenseman, especially in a straight line as well. He's got a bit more size to his game. Uh, you know, it's a really, really nice package. And I, don't, I can't off the top of my head think of a different group in the league that is as talented and well-rounded as, as the Avalanche right now. And then they went out and they added Drew Hellison. Yep, that's that's a thing they did, yes. Uh, How'd you feel about that pick? Because I can tell you I did not like it. So let me just pull up the list of players at 47. So if they had wanted a defenseman, that was literally in the middle of a run of defensemen. Um, the only one that broke about was Samuel Fogmo at 50. So uh, Artemi Kniazev and Matthew Robertson were two guys that went 48-49. If I'm sitting at Colorado's draft table, either one of those guys gets my vote. I leaned all year towards towards Kniazev. Um, Robertson, though, I he fell way too far in the draft, so he would have mm-hmm. been a, a good option there as well. Vladislav Kolyachinok, you know, he's got nice raw tools oh, as well geez. to him. You know, someone like Robert Mastro Simone, who went 54th to Detroit, I had him ranked a little lower, but now that I watch more of him after the draft, uh, uh, he's a center, but like that's a player who, if you could have landed him at 47, really, really special offensive talent, I think, there with him. A really, really skilled, slippery player. But yeah, uh, Drew Hellison, I remember he, he was a player. I watched a lot of the NTDP. There were, I watched maybe 15, 20 games this year, and he stood out on maybe three occasions, individual instances that I caught, and I went, oh, okay, like that's what he's all about. And I didn't really see much that really led me to think that he could project as a good NHL player. He's a physical defenseman. uh, But in terms of offensive production on a team that all they did was score, you know, he wasn't really a factor. His two-way numbers are okay. You know, maybe as a bottom pair defensive defenseman one day, you could get something there. But uh, yeah, that's not the player at all that I would have picked. He wasn't in my rankings, and I always felt that he was a little bit overrated uh, relative to to what everyone kind of had him ranked at. Yeah. I made a joke on this podcast that I thought he was a fourth or fifth round guy. Mm-hmm. That, that would strike me as yeah. Reasonable. A week later they took him 47. Yeah. I saw that name go by and that one was one of the first ones where I kind of went, uh, huh, you know, like Shane Pinto at 32, I sat back and went, uh, huh, <laughs> like, okay. And Nolan foot to, to Tampa at 27. I kind of went, okay. But but the really puzzling one was Drew Hellison because I looked at Drew Hellison and you know again the guys that went forty eight forty nine Kniazev and Robertson I thought Art I thought Artemi Kniazev in Colorado was guys like Gerard that's that's another excellent defenseman to add to your crop and Drew Hellison brings a different style it's a, it's we'll call it that I think I think that was the appeal from their yeah. end was they they looked at it and they said okay we could. Our long-term right side, if Nick Malosh never pans out, we could easily look at uh, Kale McCarr, Connor Timmons, Drew Hellison. Sure. And on the left side, you've got, uh, you know, Byram and Gerard, and right now Nikita Zadorov. Mm-hmm. And long-term, there's not really anybody there yeah. um, at the moment. But I think that was kind of the Hellison appeal for them, was they, they saw defensive defensemen. Uh, that that was stay at home. They they had the same kind of selection a couple years earlier in Josh Anderson, mm-hmm. which they clearly learned nothing from. Yep, um, the fact that he's not going to turn into anything, and he <laughs> was in the ECHL last year. And yeah, to me, it's been obvious for years that the Josh Anderson pick was a was a bust of a pick the moment that it was made. Yeah, uh, those kinds of guys they keep trying to get Mark Mathot out of 
high value picks like that instead of instead of trying to get a defensive defenseman like that later on they they keep using second and third round picks to do it yeah um, the hellison pick was one i really really didn't love but i thought it was interesting because we're talking about this future defense and all the selections that they've used and in recent years and all the you know all the focus that they've put on that defense between Byron, McCarr, Gerard, you're you're pretty happy with all mm-hmm. that. Timmons works out, Malosh works out, mm-hmm. Hellison works out. You've built an entire defense. Congratulations. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a bet. It's a it's a bet you can make. Uh, probably not the one I would have made. Um, you know, I think yeah. to to your point about def- getting a defensive defenseman. I mean, I I think most years in NHL free agency, you could probably entice one to come. I mean, you look at. If I'm Colorado, uh, you know, in, say, two years, I mean, he might be a little old, but I'm just using him as an example because he just signed uh, in Vancouver. But Jordy Ben is a guy who's a nice defensive defenseman who has some decent offensive tools. And for $2 million yeah. bucks a year, that's a great signing in Vancouver. And if you can use that kind of thing, and if I'm Colorado and I look at my defense group, I go, okay, do you want to come play with this group of defensemen and just be the guy that keeps the lid on things and will pay you... I don't know, 10% more than market value in order to to get you to come to Colorado and you can try winning a Stanley Cup with us. Like, it's not a not a hard pitch to make rather than use a second-round pick and betting on a guy who might become that type of a player that you could sign for however many millions of dollars it's going to cost you. Yeah, and, you know, they still have, you know, they've still got Eric Johnson for four more years at $6 million, so... That's still going on. I don't mean to like leave him out of this. I'm just sort of looking longer term here through through the really through the seven years that Sam Gerard just signed for. Um, we'll go ahead and take our first break there and then get back on the other side. We'll we'll dig into the other first round pick and then start to sink our teeth into the rest of the Avalanche draft class because it's an interesting one. Uh, certainly that Drew Hellison pick. We're we're off to some different opinions here. So this is this is exactly what I was what I was looking to to, to break down uh, because we've it's been very sunshine and rainbows all summer on this podcast. So I wanted uh, I wanted some different some outside voices to kind of uh, chime in and see if that optimism was universal or not. Uh, Will, thank you. I uh, I'm excited to get into the rest of this. Everybody else, this is the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by the Green Solution. We will be right back. Tax debt is impeding the growth of millions of small businesses in the U.S. That's why Symbio Tax and Administration's goal is to enable small businesses and individuals to make informed and calculated decisions when it comes to their taxes. Symbio Tax provides small business owners with expert services in resolving tax liabilities and providing financial clarity. I would recommend George to anybody who has to deal with the IRS. His strengths and depth of knowledge make him really valuable. You know, over the course of years as a real estate broker, I've had the opportunity to talk with many different tax people. But the one thing I have found with George is he was very easy to work with. He was very articulate. SymbioTax is experienced in preparing returns for all income levels, as well as securing penalty abatements and settlements for qualified individuals that sometimes save the taxpayer thousands. George was able to save us about $7,000, and of course, you know, being an independent real estate broker, $7,000 is a substantial amount of money, and it was really nice to get that dealt with. They offer free consultations, so be sure to check out SymbioTax.com for more information. That's S-Y-M-B-I-O. 
And welcome back in segment number two here, the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by The Green Solution. Will's couching, my guest today. Yes. Will. Hello. How's life, man? <laughs> it's it's going pretty good. It's been it's been pretty good since we went to break, you know. Rotated a bit in I, my chair. That's I tell you what. <laughs> that's what those breaks are for. Yeah. Uh, like my trainer always tells me, you just got to stretch. You got to stretch out the shoulders that especially. Is very true. You spend all day hunched over because you're typing. Oh, you got to stretch the shoulders the, and the struggle. Uh, I tell you, I was at the I was at the gym today doing uh, trying to get Miko Ranton signed, <laughs> doing doing some exercises with the shoulders to stretch them yep. out, and I had had no idea how like tight that actually was yeah. until I started moving them around, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's this is a mess. Yeah, and it happens fast. So all yeah, you all you youngins listening who hunch over your computers, it happens that's, to everyone. That's right. We start to care about this before you get into your 30s. Yeah. Just trust me. Yeah, for sure. Well, the second first round pick was Alex Newhook. Oh, yes, it was. And there was quite the debate. And it will, I think this debate will live on for at least the next couple of years until there's still some doubt about it. Alex Newhook, Peyton Krebs, both still on the board. What was the right decision in your mind? So, all right. So, it's a good discussion. So, I had Peyton Krebs higher. I had him ranked in the top 10. Newhook, though, not far out. And if the way I rank players typically, uh, or at least the way I try to present myself, is I group them together and just kind of analyze groups and say, okay, these guys are all relatively similar talent levels. Uh, And Alex Newhook was, uh, I believe, right on the cusp of being part of that Peyton Krebs group. That's mostly because there were some concerns that I had about Alex Newhook in terms of his defensive intensity more of the time uh, and some stuff where, you know, he's playing in the BCHL and he's clearly a step above most people. uh, So there might have been a bit of bad habits there for him, but that's basically everything negative I have to say about it. You know, I think... Again, we were discussing this before uh, coming on the podcast, uh, you know, drafting Kirby Doc third overall. You know, Chicago clearly looks and says, okay, in the dream scenario, what is Kirby Doc? And Kirby Doc, very likely, uh, if he is in that dream scenario, could be the third best player to come out of the draft. Uh, I look at Alex Newhook and I go, okay, in that dream scenario, he will definitely be one of these guys who outperforms names like Cam York and Matthew Boldy. Um, you know, I said, so I've made a whole video profile on, on him on the YouTube channel. Uh, and, and the thing I kind of came away with the impression of after is, you know, he has the potential to be an exceptional transitional center up the ice. So think that Sam Gerard profile, you know, he has a lot of offensive tools, certainly, uh, you know, he can make plays, he can carry pucks. He's got a lot of puck skill. He can separate himself from, from defenders, uh, you know, really, really speedy guy, especially through the neutral zone you know he's he's you know really reminded me of you know in this draft if you if you really like that jack hughes profile center he's about as good a bet behind jack hughes as you're going to get in the top half of this first round i mean you know just such a great skater really really gifted great offensive tools he dominated the bchl two straight years that league i know Colorado fans might have some hesitancy based on Tyson Yost and how his development has gone. And, you know, look, I also was clear in the video, Alex Newhook might need more than just one season in college before he comes and hits the NHL full time, uh, especially if he can't play in the AHL. So, 
if that's the case, then that also is to me a good thing. You know, let him develop in the NCAA. You know, let him get up to speed with the much older competition, the much better competition than the BCHL, um, because I think the potential with him is extremely high. He's dangerous offensively, both with the puck on his stick and when someone like an Alex Campbell has the puck on his stick. You know, he can find empty space, score goals. Uh, but the best thing to me with him was just how good he is at getting up the ice and I think that you can never ever have too many guys on your team who do that extremely well and you know get pucks out of your own end you know he's he's hard on loose pucks he gets the hell out of dodge and and gets into the offensive zone so that I think is a great pick Peyton Krebs you know honestly if it's a discussion on the table I would lean towards going with Peyton Krebs but you know, honestly, I it wouldn't take much to sway me to take Newhook over over top if a lot of scouts were were yelling and screaming at each other. Um, I, I I think he I think he brings a bit of a similar profile to the game. I think he has a bit more of a of a cerebral approach approach to the game as opposed to Alex Newhook, who's a bit more high octane, high speed, high you know high intensity player at least offensively. Whereas Peyton Krebs, you know, again hard to judge because he was on such a bad team. But when I caught him. You know, especially with the puck on his stick, really crafty playmaking type of forward. He might end up being a winger, but he could play center. I don't know. Whereas Newhook, straight center all the time. And you look at who Colorado has playing down the middle for the next couple of seasons, he's going to slot in quite nicely, I think, on that team. I, when I, watching Newhook, I could not shake Dylan Larkin vibes. I could see that. And then I I started to, I, you have Nathan McKinnon. Which guy are you looking for as your as your complimentary guy? Do you want Alex Newhook, who's very much like more of the same style as McKinnon? Great transitional, amazing skater, explosive, speed, 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 just on top of you and overwhelming you? Or do you maybe want the more all-around guy in Krebs who profiles as a much stronger defensive player as a very good two-way player you wonder is the offensive upside going to be there probably not the same but a very good two-way player and a guy that complimentary wise would have fit perfectly next to McKinnon I don't I don't know that there's a right answer there I think it's a style preference yeah and I think it's going to be truly fascinating to see how the the Krebs and Newhook thing turns out for both of those guys down the road because, boy, is is the Byram over Turcotte and the Newhook over Krebs both of those decisions if they if they pan out really well, you've done yeoman's work on draft day. If both of them blow up and both Turcotte and Krebs go on to be much better players than the guys you picked, it's the ultimate missed opportunity. Yes and no. I, I think I think that's something where people kind of conflate drafting and development. And I, I, I'm of the belief that those two things are very different. Different factors in different organizations can lead to very different outcomes. You know, that's why I'm saying, you know, Alex Newhook might need a couple of years. You know, uh, mm-hmm. just another team with more pressing needs might look at Alex Newhook, who, let's say he scores a point per game in the NCAA and he's a good NCAA center. They look at that and go, okay, he's ready. And they go and get him and they put him in the NHL and, and then just kind of ride him out and see what happens you know that to me isn't ideal development you know Alex Newhook is a guy who I think after you know maybe a season or two in the in the NCAA could become just a dominant 
dominant college player and eventually you know the the and eventually become a dominant nhl center or at least a very good one and i think Mm -hmm. that what i think that uh you were talking about someone like peyton krebs who has a better two-way game that is that is pretty true i i do see more defensive awareness um especially considering the role that peyton krebs played on his team out of krebs but uh and this is another thing i noted in the video alex newhook you know, there were times where I kind of watched him and went, okay, I need you to do more in the uh, in the defensive zone. If you're going to be a successful NHL player, you're going to need to be, if, as, especially as a center, you're going to need to be there in the defensive end and grinding stuff out and, and, and doing that thing. And he did do it. It just wasn't all of the time. And so I think that the other thing is, with him, when there were loose pucks, he's on it. Like, when he has a chance to turn things his way and get things going his way, he gets in there. So he brings the right instinct to play a really aggressive, you know, two-way game with offensive tools. It's just, is he going to get coached and molded and developed into, you know, you need to be doing, you know, with the video coach, you just show him, you know, you need to be doing a lot more of this and then flip it over and go, but a lot less of this. And you can find very clear examples of, you know, two different sides of him in his own end, especially. Uh, but once pucks are loose and he thinks he can get in there and battle it out and get that puck going the right way, he's in there and he's battling. And there were some guys in this draft who I didn't see the same type of instinct. And I think that instinct is really, really important, uh, especially in a 17-year-old. So if you can coach him and mold him to be more of that, uh, I, I think that that puts his ceiling even higher. But in terms of just raw talent, you know, I, I think he has the raw talent in spades to be just as good if not a better player than Peyton Krebs down the line but you know again it's going to come down to that development and and how you handle his 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 trajectory you know Peyton Krebs he's going to play on a I guess an improved Winnipeg team this year they've added some good names uh so maybe that helps him sort of rectify some stuff and he can spend the year there recover from his injury and then in a year go from there but in terms of developing someone like a new hook Patience will, I think, be necessary, but if you're patient, which I think Colorado can be, I think that he has all the indications of being a great player. I do think that the Nazem Kadri trade makes it easier for them to yes, be patient. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Him being signed for three years, you can two years easily at BC sign him, and then he can kind of be your three C while Kadri is your two C. And then when Kadri, after the third year, you know, whatever happens, happens. But then Newhook will have a, a full NHL year under his belt. And I think that's kind of the ideal situation. Everything breaks your way. He's a, he's a great college player. He develops the way that you want. You think that you can get a high-end center out of him. And he ends up being your 2C and, and takes over for Kadri. You know, maybe they just switch jobs and they re-sign him. Who, who knows what happens yep. in three years. Totally. But... I do think that that deal kind of gave them some insulation there and and some protection against their own desires to maybe rush new hook and, and say, well, if he has a great year this year, we could just sign him and throw him in the NHL and do what we did with McCarr and put him in the playoffs and just let him go. Yep. Yep. I, I do worry about that. I will. I I am interested in how the new hook uh, development goes. He very much in the defensive zone. He drives me insane because he very much has that gene, that that puppy dog chasing a tennis ball. Yeah. Where he just follows it around the ice. He's not doing anything. And he just sort of watches it and just sort of follows the puck around. 
and doesn't but he doesn't do anything he doesn't attack it he doesn't take a man he just sort of drifts and puck watches and he's not accomplishing anything he's not pressuring anybody nobody is worried about him out there and he needs to he needs to break that habit and get into much more of the attack mentality uh, because as a great transitional player if he's if he's chipping pucks up boards and he's creating uh, foot races with aggressive defense he's putting himself in a position to win and be very very successful time and time again yeah i mean i i would agree to a certain extent i think to uh, to your point there's a bit of i think uh anticipation to his game uh, i think he's i i did notice that you know he does kind of tend to let the game kind of go on around him uh and and then when things break his way he's in there and going um you know but again there like i like i said we've been kind of spinning around the same point you know there's tremendous amounts of raw raw talent uh you know kale mccarr you know he went to college and you know it got to the point with him where there's literally nowhere else for him to go like he could not possibly have done any better in the ncaa than he did last year like there's no reasonable expectation of of him going back for another year in college it just didn't make any sense and i think that alex newhook you know he needs to really get to the point where he hits that point where where maybe he's not as good in the ncaa as kale mccarr was like leading the country in scoring but in terms of in terms of just being such a pivotal pivotal player in the ncaa you know because he has the talent to be that uh, then the colorado avalanche can go okay yeah we're ready to ease you into the nhl role and and see where you land on this lineup because you're right you've got plenty of forward depth to 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 take it easy with them and and be patient and that's i mean two years you you never know what they might try and do in free agency given all the money that they still have and you know it it could be a very interesting world that alex newhook comes into Mm -hmm. for sure especially i mean if tyson jost ever breaks out uh, you you could be looking at well where do you even play this guy, you know I mean it 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 could be new hook new hook could just be like the cherry on top of an already very very good roster. Yep. Uh, two two years down the road, if if certain things do break Colorado's way, some of these young guys do take steps forward, and if and if they don't, then he could end up being a very key piece because some of these guys haven't taken the steps that they needed. And New Hook becomes a very important guy for yeah, them. Yeah, totally. I could see that as well. I mean, they have that's the biggest commodity in the NHL these days is, is flexibility. And Colorado is mm-hmm. one of the most flexible teams in the league, on top of having, in, at the very least, uh, on defense, one of the most promising groups of players and up front, some of the most talented, if not the best line in hockey. So, so they have plenty of flexibility, and I think that Newhook will benefit from that tr- tremendously because there is, you know, immense amounts of talent. And at 16, he had no business being available there. He should have been gone well before, if you ask me. So I think Colorado fans should be really excited whether or not they went with Krebs or, or whatever. It doesn't matter. They got a great hockey player, I think. I'm going to put you on the spot. Yes. You're, you're Joe Sackick's 16th pick. Who do you take? Ooh man! Uh, like I said, I lean Krebs, um, okay. but yeah, I mean, again, that's almost like a coin flip. I lean Krebs, 
you know, I'm not concerned about his injury at all. Uh, oh, yeah. uh, everything no. I've been told about Temporary. his injury is that it's just, you know, it sucks, but it wasn't a full tear and blah, blah, blah. So I think he's going to be just fine. And I think that I, it, and again, we ha- you brought you brought it up earlier, which is like play style. How do you want your team to play? I love Alex Newhook watching him. I think he sells tickets. He's that type of, an, of, of, of a fun offensive yeah. player. Whereas Krebs, you know, Peyton Krebs certainly has nice sets, a nice set of feet and he can really motor, but he brings this really sort of careful pace to the game where he can be dangerous, you know, threading passes around the offensive zone and, and making everyone on his line better. And Newhook does do that. He, he does, does certainly do that, but Krebs, I think, has just a little bit more variety to his game that's evident right now, and and I kind of lean towards that. And you know, it's this is also kind of inflated because of how bad his team was. But you know, he's the only player from the CHL this year, uh, other than Arthur Kaliev, who had points on forty percent or more of his team's goals. Uh, Alex Newhook was at forty-eight percent, but in Junior A, so. You know, which, you know, obviously 40% of your team's goals in the WHL is a big deal. And, you know, he was only a point per game, but that point per game was a, you know, misleading, I guess you could say, considering just how bad his team was. And I think all things considered, Krebs, you know, if things break positively, I think these two guys will be comparable NHLers. I don't think either is the wrong pick, but there's something about Peyton Krebs' game that I just, when I watch it, I go, okay, this is a more complete, you know, make your teammates better type of play whereas new hook while he does that he does it in a much flashier fun kind of way that also you know he benefits from by scoring a lot of goals or having teammates clean up shots that he takes on the net and scoring that way so yeah i think i lean krebs but again new hook is tremendously talented so krebs is my answer as well um i heard a story about the injury uh so krebs uh, tears his Achilles, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, gets hurt, training for the draft, uh, goes home that day, goes home, and goes and tells his mom, says, something's not right. <laughs> like, I'm, you know, we need to we need to go to the doctor. Something's something's just off. Goes to the doctor, they they look at it and they say, Hey, he's just got he's got a bad sprain. Uh, goes home. Yep. They send him home, you know, with the, okay, checked him out. He's all right. Uh, goes home the next day, wakes up, and he says, Mom, something is not right. <laughs> yeah. Goes back to the hospital and has a 95% tear. Yeah. That dude wandered around on, yep. that, torn, on that torn Achilles for a day. Mm-hmm. And his attitude was, something's not right. Yeah. On draft day hobbles his way across the stage because he refuses to let that 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 injury stop him from having that moment that he'd worked so hard for. Oh yeah. 100%. Peyton Krebs to me was the guy that you win championships with. And that's not to say that you don't with Alex Newhook. That's not what I'm saying. Just that the 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 two-way game and all that is great, but there's an intangible, there's an it factor about Peyton Krebs that I, I felt was undeniable and boy i think vegas is going to be real happy in I a agree. couple of years I, I honestly i don't think there was any other names that would have been on my list at that pick new hook or krebs and it would have been yep. that there's no yep. other discussion i don't think i honestly can't tell you who got picked after krebs i don't know 
It was, I will, I mean, it's not super important right now. Uh, Thomas Harley went to Dallas. So yeah, I, again, no, no comp. No Big gap there, think. in yeah, my opinion, I between think. those three prospects. I would agree. Uh, well, let's take our second break here. Yes. We uh, ended up using the entire segment, the second segment to talk about <laughs> Alex Newhook, which that's, that's why rundowns have fluidity to them. <laughs> yes. Because sometimes that's what happens, and Newhook is the kind of guy, he's he's a polarizing enough guy, uh, the talent is certainly there, it's not often, the Avs had 16th overall pick in back-to-back years, mm-hmm. and the ceilings between Martin Kaut and Alex Newhook, very different. You could say that, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, I did. I will definitely say that and and stand by that all day long, although they might end up line mates someday. So who knows? It you know if things are gonna go Colorado's way, they should just really go Colorado's way. Uh, we'll take our second break here. This is the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by the Green Solution. We will be right back. Are you thinking about selling your house, but it's not in tip top condition? How do you ensure you'll maximize your profit? If your house is in need of an upgrade, Houselift can assist in eliminating all the stress of the remodeling process while matching the current trends that buyers most desire. And get this, there are zero upfront costs from you, the homeowner. That's right, you won't pay for any of the upfront costs for the remodel until your house closes. Houselift will handle everything, from the contractors to the design, while managing these costs. Here's what you need to do. Head to their website or Facebook page, both at houselift.colorado.com, and check out the incredible remodels Houselift has done for homeowners here in the metro area. In past jobs, Houselift has put anywhere from 15 to 60K more in their clients' pockets. Call 303-885-7888 today and find out what Houselift can do for you. Oh yeah, if you hire one of Houselift's preferred realtors, they will sell your home without charging a listing commission and welcome back in third and final segment here of the bsn avalanche podcast presented by green solution i'm aj hayfley alongside will scouching talking avalanche draft class a little bit uh down the road here but you know what it's august and you're listening to a hockey podcast Mm -hmm. i don't know what you expect yeah this is what you're gonna get yeah that's right we're gonna we're gonna talk about things that have been talked about before this is not new territory (laughs) well We've talked about the first couple of Avs picks and the the mystery of the Drew Hellison pick. Things got weird at at 63. A little bit, yeah. Matthew Steinberg was a guy that when they drafted him, uh, one of the first guys that had gone in the draft that I just didn't know who he was. Right. I, they said his name, and I was I was sitting in the not at, on where I could see the stage and see the name go up. I was actually sitting behind the stage because I was tired of walking around that arena to go and talk to the players. Fair enough. And so I found like a midway spot and they took Steinberg and I was like, I don't know who that is. Right. I was not alone. No. Uh, Matthew Steinberg was not expecting to go before the fifth round. First pick of the third round. What? Yeah, what? That that was my thought as well. Uh Yeah. Um I don't know. I don't know if you want to if you want to take the lead on this one cuz I I know I heard someone was it you who said that his dad played or knows Joe Sakic very well and that's kind of the connection there? 
Yeah, former teammates. Right. Um, they so there's that connection. Uh, he is when I talk to uh various abs people afterwards. The consensus was, well, Warren Fogel did it. Ah, okay. And I thought, okay. Yeah. Cool for him. That was the 63rd pick. You had the top pick of the third round, and you used it on a guy who admittedly tore up St. Andrews last year, statistically dominated those kids. Sure. But it was St. Andrews, and... He's three weeks from eligibility last year. Right, so he's an older prospect, and... Yep. <laughs> what is there to get excited about with this? And the the feeling that I got from the organization, when I say feeling, I mean what I was told by multiple people who I asked, was we we loved his attitude. We loved the way he plays the game. And we think that there's a lot more skill there than other people do, basically. They they were projecting, right? Yep. And look, I try not to make too much of the development camps that happen right after the draft. I went in there thinking Matthew Steinberg isn't going to be able to skate. He's going to be a total bum. And very first thing I see him do, he gets on, he gets on the ice he goes flying up the wing and he tattoos the post. And I was like, whoa, what's <laughs> this? So I was like, all right, a little moxie from the kid. And this is after he has spent the last couple of days listening to Denver media basically say, who is this, who is this kid? Why did they take him? Mm-hmm. What are they thinking? You know, guys like me who don't know anything, right? And... Came out and was, he had a very, very solid dev camp and then followed it up with a really good 3v3 game, which I understand the words that I just said. It was a (laughs) 3v3 game in July. Yep. Or I guess in that case, late June. I fully understand the context here, but the point is, is that he had an opportunity to get on the ice with a bunch of the Avs prospects Guys who had been previously drafted. I mean, Martin Cout and Shane Bowers, former first-round picks, are also sitting around at the same camp. And he held his own in a major, major way. But, boy, even now, you look at that pick and you just can't help but wonder. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at who went shortly after uh, and who would have probably been on my list there. I mean, the one name that sticks out like a sore thumb to me is Albin Groove. Uh, a guy who I every time I watched him play um, you know I had people reach out to me and say you know might be a bit overrated you know blah 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 but I mean in the at 63 that is probably the guy that I go with and you know you you want to you know you look at Matthew Steinberg's profile you know seems to be you know I went back and watched some St. Andrews games because they are streamed on YouTube uh, you know, really sort of, yeah, like he can skate and he can move around the ice. He certainly plays very aggressively. He, he takes a lot of penalties, uh, and he does that not really being by being like a jerk on the ice, but just by playing extremely hard. And, you know, that can kind of get you in trouble sometimes. Now at the same time, Alvin Groove does the exact same thing. Uh, he plays with an edge, um, but he does it, you know, with a more significant, 
Brad Marchand style of play. And I think that on any team, there's a role for that type of a player. And I'm cool with it as long as you can play hockey. And I've always really, really liked Alban Gruve's skill. You know, his skating might need a bit of work, but I really, really like that uh, about his game. And Zach Jones is another name that was available there that I would have jumped at the chance to take. You know, I profiled him in a video, and I absolutely love the potential that he has. Uh, looking at some other ones, Patrick Puistola had no business being available at 63 and he played against that men. was my heartbreak yeah he played against men this year and just scored and scored and scored and scored and that league in finland you know it's a bit weaker than it used to be but it's still not a joke and he's probably headed straight to the liga this year and um yeah I, I, those guys would probably have been the names on my list i mean you know even a prep school guy like john farinacci went 76 and he has you know, more finesse to his game than I saw out of Steinberg for sure. You know, he kind of gets away with a lot for being so talented in prep school. But, you know, Steinberg, when I heard his name, I I kind of went, okay, I've, I've seen flashes of this guy. I saw him hit uh, the Sioux City Musketeers for a bit. So I checked out some of his play there. That's a big jump in quality of play from Canadian prep school to the USHL. And, yeah. you know, he kind of got lost in the shuffle but that that mentality of aggressive offensive you know he had 15 penalty minutes in three games with Sioux City so clearly he was out there and and playing hard and and I guess taking a lot of penalties so again he is older for the draft class you know October 7th is is a really really you know late birthday and you're going to want to have him kind of hit the ground running. I mean, it might be a bit of an adjustment period for him from St. Andrews to Cornell. Yes, Warren Fogle did it, but, you know, there's a lot of guys uh, in St. Andrews who perform very well and struggle to adjust to the NCAA, and hopefully he doesn't fall into that group. Um, You know, I look, though, one thing that's been kind of fun for me is looking at a team's later draft pick, swapping it with someone they might have reached on and saying, well, if it had happened this way, would that make more sense? And I look at, you know, Alex Bocage at 78. That's a that's a good pick, I, I think. But, you know, if, he, if, if Matthew Steinberg were to be gone before 78, that would have been quite interesting. Uh, but, and then you would have had to wait until 140 to, to pick him again. So if Bocage mm-hmm. and Steinberg flipped and you really believe in Steinberg, it would have felt more okay. It just really didn't strike me as something i expected or anyone seemed to expect so we'll see um the the you know but i'm a numbers guy and tr- the track record isn't exactly positive you know fogel again is kind of the outlier and you never really want to go out and chase an outlier so i guess we'll have to wait and see i feel like anytime you're taking a canadian prep kid you're chasing an outlier jankowski even he took yeah. years jankowski was the other one that was that was mentioned to me as uh well that guy accomplished it and it was like Sure, but what did you get out of those guys? Like, yeah. who are those guys? Now, Jankowski was a first-rounder, so different expectation. Uh, but I was it's funny that you mentioned if you swapped Bokaj and Steinberg, because that was my next question to you, was if you swapped those two, how much differently do you feel about them? Because Alex Bokaj showed up, uh, is the exact kind of prospect the Avalanche have not drafted in many years. He showed up to that dev camp and just started sniping pucks left yep. and right. Yep. Then gets into the three v three and just just scores in bunches. Yep. 
Yeah, so I watched a lot of Alex Bocage. I did a video profile on his teammate, uh, Justin Bergeron, who went undrafted. Uh, Alex Bocage, though, Alex Bocage, uh, I found him to some as kind of maybe a bit overrated, but I want to preface that. Well, I guess I can't preface something I just said, uh, but <laughs> but uh, I don't mean overrated as in like he's a bad pick. At 78, he's a fantastic pick. Uh, yeah. One thing I love about him, you know, his best asset is his ability to stick handle when he's under a lot of pressure. So when, when teams get all over him, you know, because they must know he's got a great shot. That guy scores and scores and scores and scores. Uh, like you just said, uh, you know his shot is fantastic. He can get it off quick. He can put it. You know he can put it top shelf from really, really in tight. You know his skill in tight is really, really palpable. You know guys will swarm him in the offensive zone, and and he'll just come out with the puck and roof it. And it's just like that. And and it's really, really impressive. So to get him at seventy eight is is a is a clown show to me. I mean it's insane. Uh, I had him ranked lower than most though. I had him more at the tail end of the second round. So. You know, again, if you had swapped these two guys, it would have made sense. But, you know, that's more because I see Bocage as sort of a more complimentary scoring forward. Whereas, you know, and I watched his line mates. Uh, he was playing, I believe, on a line with guys like Raphael Harvey Pinard, who was picked by Montreal, uh, and Peter Abandonado. I don't exactly know where he's headed, but I always really liked Harvey Pinard just because of, you know, the amount of ability, the, the aggressiveness he has and separating players from pucks and just how hard he plays and how hard he works on the ice. And Bocage was often the beneficiary of that. Uh, so I didn't see a tremendous amount out of Bocage that led me to believe that he's going to be a guy that can run his own line and, and be this massive draft steal in the third round. But, you know, when you look at some of the names that went off the board around here, you know, he kind of could be that Patrick Poistola style, you know, scoring forward uh, who, you know, you you know he'll do the hard things well which is score points and i think he could be that uh and if you come in with that expectation with a third round pick i think he was just about as good a pick at that at that spot as you could possibly make can't skate that's yeah exactly that's kind of what i'm beating around that was that was very obvious at camp was that watching him watching him in person i was like boy yeah, this is this is gonna take some effort. This is gonna, might this be, is gonna a, be a lot of work. Might be that Thomas Vanek power play guy. You know, you just yeah. get him the puck on the power play, and he'll put it in the freaking net. And like, there's value to that, especially if you can get it in the third round. Absolutely. I mean, if they were able to get an NHL player of any kind yeah. out of the third round, it would be a big step forward for them. Yeah. Uh, their last couple of picks, they basically said, "All right, we're good with the WHL. We're just gonna stay here." <laughs> What did you think of the Sasha Mutala pick? Because as soon as it was announced, I immediately loved it. Yeah, so he's an underrated player. I mean, his production, you look at it and go, eh, yeah, but he could have been better. But he didn't play a tremendous amount relative to most other players drafted really high in the draft. I mean, his per, per his permanent production was pretty solid for, for a, a CHL draft pick. You know, if you look at his even strength involvement in offense, it was very comparable to Alex Bocage, uh, and Alex Bocage outscored him, I think, almost 2-1. to one. Yeah, 79-41. to 41. So, you know, you're looking at two guys who, at even strength, showed up relatively well. The thing I love about Sasha Matala, uh, on two-thirds of even strength goals when he's on the ice, he's getting the goal or the guy 
who scored got the puck from Matala one way or the other. So that's really, really high. Usually forwards are around 55-60%, but to be up at 67% it is crazy high. And so I know he has his fans out there. Um, at, at 140, you know, I had him ranked 75th, I think, yeah. So to, to get him at 140, I think, is great value. I mean, if you swing and miss on him, it's about as good a bet as you could probably make. Uh, I look at who was available at 140. There might have been some names that I that I look at over him there, but not many. You know, maybe Josh Nodler would be up there. Um, Mike Kester, if you really wanted to play the long game, could be a guy. But Matala was was a really really That's great the pick. Long game. Yeah, exactly. It's a very long game, but if you play it right, you you could you could do well. Marshall Warren is up there as well. Uh, I was a big fan of Igor Serdiak. Um, but but you know so he might have been my guy at 140 before Matala but Matala would be right up there on the top of my list as well somebody in your mock draft a big Igor Serdiak fan too. oh I know I know I that. That oh was... I remember there was some interesting ones there I gotta go back and watch that that was that was such a wild pick and I was... only got to watch a few minutes of that but that happened and I just started cackling it was a lot of fun definitely a it lot was... of fun it was cool man um the Mutala pick has been a favorite among uh, those that are on this podcast regularly. Uh, mm-hmm. My partner, Rudo, loves him. Um, a hardworking kid that I think has a lot of talent and could end up being uh, a big steal here. But I'm personally, man, I'm I'm a really big Luca Burzon fan. Yes, me too. And getting him with the sixth pick, they announced his name, and I was like, are you serious? These guys are killing it in the yeah. late rounds. Yeah, 100%. I, I, Luca Burzan, an overage guy, his second, his second time through, not an overage guy, but what a season he had! Huge, massive. I, 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 when I saw him starting to, you know, I thought someone had to take him. You know, every analytical case you could make, he was a standout. You know, uh, let me just pull up my stuff here. So, going off that even strength scoring in in the CHL, uh, you know usually you don't see players getting themselves on in you know a goal or a primary assist on 30 percent or more of his team's goals uh but you know luca burzan is right up there at 36 percent and guys like bobby brink were 43 matt boldy uh was 31 cole caulfield 35 i mean you know you're getting a guy who when goals were going in at even strength he was the guy that was really getting involved there uh that 55 percent you know, uh, metric where you're getting the goal as a primary assist on an even strength goal, uh, where Matala was a two thirds, uh, Luca Burzan was 78.5%. So when a goal scored at even strength and he's on the ice, he's getting the goal as a primary assist 79% of the time, which is gobsmackingly good. Uh, you know, I can list off more. I mean, when he was on the ice, uh, Brandon scored four even strength goals per 60 minutes at even strength. That's 2.2 higher than the team without him. Uh, which is crazy high. I mean, no matter which way you slice it, at 171, you could have just said, take this guy and let's see what happens. And you could have convinced me to go along with it. I mean, I had him ranked in the second round just because of, well, sorry, early third, just because of how good his analytical case was. He outperformed Stelio Mateos this season in almost every way. Uh, he plays center. You know, he, he, he's just a machine. And I think that as long as this just wasn't a career year when he's 18, uh, I think that at the very least, he's going to be a very interesting late round prospect that Colorado can keep an eye on. 
Um, but I certainly, when I saw his name go off the board and go to Colorado, I went, okay, someone has a computer and someone is either reading my stuff or thinks the same as me or something is happening uh, because this because this guy is, is extremely, extremely talented. So I wonder how much... So Colorado has heavily uh, pulled from Brandon the last few years. Uh, 2017, they had uh, Nolan Patrick ranked ahead of Nico Heischer at one. Uh, they pulled Ty Lewis out of there as an undrafted guy. Mm -hmm. They had Cole Reinhardt in as an undrafted guy, uh, as an invitee to a couple of their camps. Luca Burzon just seemed to make sense. Yes. Honestly. Yeah, pretty good pick, to say the <laughs> yeah. least. And, and honestly, I have to... I'm just not that worried about the fact that he broke out at 19. Um, no. His his profile kind of reminds me of what Nicola Wa did a couple of years ago, where he got drafted in the fourth round uh, and coming off of a really blob Q career to that point, and then it blew up as a 19-year-old and, and had put up very strong numbers and you know ended up just getting traded this offseason because Carolina is for some reason, wanted to get rid of all their good forward prospects. Yeah. So I, I'm very excited about Luca Burzon. I was very excited. He got uh, an invite to the world junior uh, summer showcase. I was disappointed when he didn't do anything with it, but I also <laughs> didn't have any expectations there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's the sixth round. Uh, there were many, many players who were drafted in that range where fans can look at it and go, why, why did you do this? Uh, yeah. But for that pick for Colorado, there are plenty of, clear clear indicators that that he is about as good a bet in that range as you're gonna find i think seventh round maybe the pick that i've gotten the most feedback from 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 people around the whl and and goalie people that i do know trent minor a very popular pick i can imagine the, the he was a, a guy that split the job with Vancouver uh, this year in their in their run to the WHL uh, finals against mm -hmm. Prince Albert, and looks to to be the successor to David Tendek when when he moves on. And for a seventh round pick, a guy that has a, a clear cut job and is is teammates with your fourth overall pick, why not? Right? Yeah. I mean, and the guy is silly good at doing what goaltenders are supposed to do, and that's stop pucks. Uh, all I ask is if I'm a general manager or a head of amateur scouting and my guys want a goalie, I want the guy to stop pucks. And I want it to be on paper that he stops pucks, and when he faces a lot of them, I want to know how well he does. Um, you know, like Trent Minor, you know, this is a bit of a misleading number. Uh, but I outlined in, in the Avalanche recap video I made, he faced 26 shots a game, which is about average, I would say, for a goaltender. Uh, but he allowed three or fewer goals 78% uh, of the time, which, I mean, you don't want your goalie allowing three goals a tremendous amount. But if you can say four out of your five starts that this goalie's going to get, he'll keep your team in it, especially with a team as talented as Colorado should be for the foreseeable future. Uh, I mean, that's a pretty good bet. And when he faced 30 or more shots, his save percentage, instead of being 924, it was a 932. And so 
when he's when he's faced with a high workload, there's measurable evidence that he does really well. And I think that that all things being considered, um, you know, he he's a he's a really good bet in the seventh round. Yes, he's six foot one, uh, but it's not unheard of that goalies at that age may grow one inch and then instantly become big enough to be an NHL goaltender. I don't know how that works in terms of how people perceive goaltender height and overall talent, but. I think that if the guy just stops pucks, he's going to be just fine. And I think that this is about as good a bet as any in, on a goaltender in, in the seventh round. Him and him and Dustin Wolf going in the seventh round are, are kind of yeah. silly to me. Yeah, the Dustin Wolf one uh, caught me off guard. I definitely expected that guy to go a little bit earlier. A little bit. Just a bit. Uh, yeah, right. Um, Trent Miner kind of rounds out in – interesting class i've i've tried to stay away from uh your review video because i want people to go and actually watch it yep so i haven't tried to pull too heavily from it and (laughs) reference it a lot uh just because i want people to go and watch it themselves uh and if you know if you give them too much then they just that's allowed have to totally allowed but how overall how would you kind of grade this how would you grade the overall effort that they that they put forth on draft day well i'll save uh my methods of of grading it to the people who want to go watch the video but overall i found it very very promising on the whole for colorado uh they could have done a lot better i will say that um you know if you had come away at 47 with an artemi kniazev or a matt robertson um then maybe at 63 you go with the Zach Jones, you know, that's two, that's three of your first four picks being defensemen, all with, to me, extremely high ceilings. And you can never have too many great defensemen if you can have six guys on your team who just, you know, just ask the Nashville Predators. You know, they ended up at the Stanley Cup final with one of the deepest defense groups in the league. Um, you know, Albin Gruve could have been a nice ad for them as well. You know, nice envelope pushing third line winger, maybe fourth line center one day. Uh, you know, but. When you look at who they actually got, though, Alex Bocage could very easily, I think, in the future be a good complementary scorer with some nice skill on the power play. Uh, Sasha Matala is a nice project. I mean, he does have metrics that paint him very favorably and a bit limited usage, but I, I like what I've seen out of him. Luca Berzan, uh, every which way you slice it, he looks really, really promising. Uh, and and you got a goalie who stops a lot of pucks and and... I think that that's also very valuable, especially for a seventh round pick. Plenty of teams went off the board and drafted guys who, you know, quote unquote, they like, uh, and, and kind of scratch your head when you see it. And Colorado kind of did that. Um, but they didn't do anything completely nutty. I don't think. And, and I think that that's a good thing. Uh, Bowen Byram and Alex Newhook are huge, huge, huge upside swings. And I think Byram, everything looks positive for him long term you just again will need to be patient with his sort of two-way play but his offensive ability and his puck carrying are fantastic alex newhook similar kind of profile but you know just electrifying talent so i think i think colorado avalanche fans have a perfect right to be pretty psyched about the class they drafted even if there were a bit of a few head scratchers but you know all things being considered i i can't really find too many really big issues to complain about with this team i mean if you have eight picks and two first rounders and the ones that you're kind of iffy on are 47 and 63 (laughs) yes 
you've overall, I think you've put yourself in a good spot. Yes, to, I would agree. To, to feel good about your class as a whole. Yeah. We'll see what happens with Hellison and Steinberg. They definitely are interesting selections, to say it politely. We'll see how it turns out. We definitely will see that. Will, I want to thank you again for coming on to the show once again to talk uh, some draft and some post-draft. Give me uh, a quick, a very, very quick look ahead. What do you see from the 2020 class? Well, I'm trying not to read too much into it. Uh, the Holinka just got started, which is really the first major tournament. Uh, yeah. I think what I, what's really been beneficial is to just kind of, for me, sit back and see who sticks out. And don't think about the names. Don't think about the players. Just see who sticks out. Um, you know, there's talk of this year's class being one of the best ever. I am of the belief that it is at least going to be a really, really, really exciting group of players to come out of the draft. Certainly more exciting than this year. Certainly more exciting than 2018, I think. Uh, you know, it's kind of that almost 2015 style of class. Just unbelievable talent. You know, could be 10 names that in any other year would be top five picks. So I'm thrilled. A uh, couple of names already stick out from what I'm seeing in the Holinka. Like, I'm really liking Hendricks Lapierre for, for, for Canada. Um, there's a lot of guys in the down-the-line kind of players, like uh, Akuratu in Finland and Brad Lambert in Finland. Both look like really interesting talents. <laughs> yeah, I know. Brad Lambert, the Finn. The uh, greatest Finnish name of all time. Name. Yes. Brad uh, Lambert. Yeah, I mean, obviously everyone's looking at Quentin Byfield and a gif of him scoring a goal made the rounds today. Um, I just have really loved Hendricks Lapierre based on my expectations going in more than anything. So I, I hope that he's a player who has a big year, and I think he's going to be a player that I that I put a video together on at some point during this season. It will be an exciting uh, draft class. It's weird to, as, as somebody covering the Avalanche, that it's August and I just don't care that much about it yet. <laughs> I know uh, most people probably shouldn't like, no, we'll see. That's the thing. Previous years. I'm all about this mm -hmm. because I need to be on top of it. And it's something that abs fans have cared about. Okay. Well, we're not expecting to be very good. What prospect wise, what am I looking for? Sure. What, who are the draft guys that I want to care about? If I can get out to see them play or whatever, they always want to know this year. Nobody cares. It's just, it's like, look, there's a very exciting potential NHL team to go and watch. I, I don't care about the Eagles. I don't care about the draft. None of that matters. The Avs could be really good and fun this year, and that's all that matters. So it's, yeah. it's a different world for, for me right now to not be focusing so much. I'm, of course, keeping an eye on Linka just because I am who I am. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's definitely... It's weird that there's a class this good, uh, this hyped up, and just from an abs perspective, it's just sort of like, eh, cool. I hope yeah. the Wild don't get any of those guys. <laughs> I know, well, I mean, we'll see how they do. I mean, that that organization <laughs> seems to be having some issues of their own. But, uh, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I've looked, just as a last note, uh, there's a video on my YouTube channel where I kind of look through it, but just looking at the the pre like d minus one so the year before a player's draft eligible just looking at those metrics on some top ranked players a year ago there was one player who kind of checked my box of if they were draft eligible a year before they are draft eligible would they be a first round talent and there was only one last year and that was jack hughes uh anthony honka wasn't too far behind neither was miko kokonen but it was only really jack hughes and this year there are seven players so 
you know, they're, they're, it's a, it's a crazy group from many, many different countries are producing really, really top talent, you know, Finland, Sweden, uh, you know, Canada, the United States, I think might have a couple in there as well, but there's, it's going to be quite a year. So if you're a prospect guy, definitely pay attention. Yeah, it will be interesting after what just happened uh, to see how the United States kind of how long it takes for them to produce a big class again because that was nuts. Yes, yes, it was. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> I mean, it was a record-setting team, so yeah, for uh, sure. You don't you don't expect that to be to. Uh, it, it's okay for them to have a down year this year. It's it's uh, will. I want you. I want you to promote. You've talked about your YouTube channel a few times. I want you to promote everything that you need to promote right here at the end so that people know where to find everything that you do yes so everything that i do uh i'm most active on twitter and youtube both of those handles are uh, twitter.com and youtube.com slash scouching uh the youtube channel is there's going to be some live streaming that that pops up in the next little while before the season starts um going to be some videos that i'm going to be putting together in the coming weeks and then back into the reports which is going to be tracking and long form scouting report videos uh the twitter is just twitter everyone knows what that is um lots of charts and fancy graphs and fun stuff uh and then beyond that if you want you, there's an instagram page uh scouching underscore will um but yeah that those are primarily the areas if you want to support the project uh you can get access to data sheets and such on patreon.com slash scouching uh there's tiers for all kinds of different uh, levels of commitment and we're going to be expanding it to provide more features for people who maybe can't afford to uh, or don't want to pay for the more premium features so look forward to that great well you do awesome work man you know i'm a big fan i'm happy to have you on the show i appreciate you coming again and uh i'm going to actively look for excuses to bring you back on the show during the season <laughs> please so. do it's been it's a blast every time man so anytime I, uh, I do appreciate that. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, I don't know if this is going up Thursday or Friday. We haven't decided on our schedule yet because we're just making it up as we go. <laughs> but uh, thank you guys for listening. It's the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by The Green Solution. We will see you later. See ya. The Colorado Golf Association is dedicated to preserving, improving, and serving the game of golf here in Colorado. And right now they're conducting their annual Dream Golf Vacation Raffle. Ed May, executive director of the Colorado Golf Association, gave us some more info on what exactly you can win if you enter. We had six grand prizes this year and 40 plus other prizes. So the, the big ticket items, so to speak, or the grand prizes are a trip to the BMW Championship, including VIP access, thanks to our partnership with BMW. Uh, we have trip to Streamsong, we have a trip to Bandon Dunes, we have a trip to Sand Valley. And then we have what I think might be the coolest, a chance to take an, uh, a 7 Series BMW down to Telluride to play in a CGA-only event. The raffle tickets will go on sale on our website, coloradogolf.org. Tickets are $40, and you know all the proceeds from the raffle are going to support youth development in the state of Colorado. So you're making a great donation to a great cause, but you're also having a chance to uh, really have a fantastic dream golf vacation. For a chance to win, be sure to go to coloradogolfassociation.org.